is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in for yet another episode of Going West. And thank you to Kelsey for recommending the case that we have for you guys today. Also, big news, Daphne's birthday. Daphne's birthday is coming up. It's in a couple (laughs) days. Super exciting. (laughs) I am turning 28 on October 5th. We're going to have a good day. Yeah, we've got some we've got some fun plans uh, scheduled for that day. So, and even more exciting than my birthday is the day after, which is October 6th, and that is because we are releasing two new episodes of The Dark Parts. That is launch day officially. We just recorded one of them yesterday and it's so creepy. Yeah, even our editor was uh, a little bit freaked out when he was listening to the stories. So <laughs> Yeah, so we, uh, The Dark Parts is our other podcast hosted by Heath and I and it's just a spooky story, urban legend, paranormal, all of the above kind of podcast. So if you want to check that out, it is everywhere that you listen to podcasts and it is called The Dark Parts. All right, guys, this is episode 241 of Going West, so let's get into it. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. We've got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode, the Jordan Harbinger Show. A podcast you should definitely check out since you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The Jordan Harbinger Show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes that you're going to find interesting. Jordan is super charismatic and well-voiced, so I loved listening to his recent episode with Susan Casey called Unraveling Mysteries in the Ocean's Darkest Depths. It was so creepy and interesting, and he goes across every category with other episodes like Romance Twister, My Mister Once Dated My Sister, or his monthly Skeptical Sunday episodes about controversial topics from crystal healing to cannabis to Ouija boards. There is something for everyone. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. In October of 2016, a 23-year-old woman in Indianapolis headed to a private party and was never seen again. Just hours before she disappeared, she sent the address of the party to her best friend in case she went missing. Months later, she would be found murdered. And thanks to surveillance footage, police came up with a theory. 
This is the story of Angie Barlow. Angela Gina Ann Barlow, better known as Angie, was born on August 21st, 1993 in Denver, Colorado, and she was the oldest daughter of Christina and Stephen Barlow. She was later joined by three younger siblings, Wendy, Jessica, and Zarima. When Angela was just about two years old, the family moved to Farmland, Indiana, and eventually settled in Muncie, Indiana shortly after that. And Muncie is situated northeast of Indianapolis, a little over an hour drive away, and is home to about 65,000 people. Angie's mom, Christina, describes her as the queen bee of the family and the embodiment of the oldest sister. Her sisters really looked up to her, and she was basically a mom to all of them. Christina also says that Angie was street smart, fiercely independent, and headstrong, and described her as a loyal and loving friend, daughter, and sister. And her mom, Christina, recalled one specific instance where she and Angie went to support Wendy, uh, Angie's younger sister, as she auditioned for American Idol, but the judges told Wendy that she didn't have the look that they were going for, which is super rude. That shouldn't matter. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was like a singing sh- <laughs> singing show. Yeah, it is. Um, and Angie actually stormed toward the building and yelled, "Whose ass am I kicking?" So Christina said that you know it was never a dull moment with her, and she most definitely was her sis or her sister's keeper. Sorry, um, she says I believe she still is. All through middle and high school. Angie played competitive sports and was a gifted and talented athlete. In shot put and track and field, she broke her own school's record five times. She played travel softball, in which she was a batter and catcher, and she was even scouted by schools across the state, trying to get her to come to play for them. On her school's basketball team, Angie completed 44 free throws in two minutes. She was also on her school's bowling team, with whom she went to the state championships three out of her four years with. She even wound up in the Bowling Hall of Fame for her accomplishments. Her mom, Christina, said, quote, There wasn't a sport that the kid couldn't do. But her high school career hit a bit of a snag when, with just two and a half months left of her senior year, Angie dropped out of Southside High School. And her mom said of this, quote, She wanted to do things the way that she wanted to do things, and she didn't like that there were rules after she turned 18. Part of the rules were, you need to be home by this time, you're still in high school. And she didn't much care for that, so she moved out. It was a point of contention between the two for a while, with Christina begging her daughter, if you don't do anything else, at least get your high school diploma. And Christina worried that perhaps she had been too pushy with her daughter's sports and grades, but eventually Angie did come back, and she brought her best friend with her. After trying to live on their own, the girls really struggled to make ends meet, so Christina struck them a deal. If they worked towards their GEDs, they could move back in with her. So they did. Mona and Angie, Mona is Angie's friend, were childhood friends, but Mona remembers them being more like sisters. She explained, quote, I was adopted into the family, and she's also adopted into my family. 
Christina remembers that both girls thanked her later for forcing them to complete their high school education. And Angie even wound up taking some college courses, but ultimately decided her future plans did not include higher education just yet. The two had bigger plans for their future than living with Angie's mom as well. They wanted to move to Indianapolis together. And when Angie was almost 19 and felt like she had saved up enough money, the girls moved to their own apartment in downtown Indy. Angie started dancing and was hired by a club called Club Rio, northwest of the city. The club was even put on the map a few years ago after a shooting incident involving a few NBA players. In 2006, during their preseason training camp, four teammates from the Indiana Pacers were out late at the club one night when their shooting guard, Steven Jackson, was involved in a hit and run while leaving the club Rio. Startled and angry, Steven fired five shots into the air after the collision. And while they don't have a website, Club Rio does have some colorful reviews on Google, so highly recommend checking those out. One woman wrote, quote, Nice place and nice bar, but sometimes the dancers can be too aggressive, like a dancer named Renee tried to offer me sex if I do a VIP with her. She also offered drugs. I just wanted a nice, good time out and to enjoy a drink and eat food. She gave it two stars. And another woman wrote, quote, Most of the good-looking reviews are from people who work here. Don't be fooled. And not to say anything bad about the people that work there or the dancers, because we don't personally know. This is just what we're finding online. Yes. So suffice it to say, it was not the kind of place that Christina was thrilled for her daughter to be working at. She said, quote, we hated it. But Mona remembers Angie was just her own person. She was independent. Nobody could tell her what to do. Angie seemed to love what she did. She had fun dancing and made great money at the club. She also started competing in pole dancing competitions and talked about starting to teach pole dancing classes. But despite all of this, her mom does remember her talking about a backup plan for when she may not want to be dancing anymore, and Angie talked about potentially getting into finance. But for now, Angie was enjoying her newfound financial freedom, and she and Mona, who was also a dancer, enjoyed taking lavish vacations with the money they made. According to her mom, she had occasionally expressed concern that some of her patrons made her feel uneasy, but also said that she knew that coming into contact with people who might make her feel uncomfortable was an occupational hazard. One of those people was a woman named Raven Miller. So Angie and Raven met at the Club Rio. The full story is unclear, but it may have had something to do with the fact that Angie had dated Raven's current boyfriend, Baron McCullough. What truly happened between the three, we may never know, but there was bad blood. In October of 2016, 23-year-old Angie took an expensive vacation to Miami and came back strapped for cash. Shortly after returning home to Indianapolis, she received a text from an unknown number asking her to come dance at a private party in an apartment and offering her $500. The text read, quote, Hi, do you do private parties? Mona remembers Angie getting texts like this before, but that this was the first time that she had considered taking anyone up on the offer. Angie surmised that the text was from a woman wanting to surprise her husband for their anniversary, but oddly, the woman never gave her name. 
Mona had a feeling that something was off and she asked Angie not to go, but Angie needed the money and decided to do it. And I also just want to say how weird that they, they texted her. They don't say their name. How did they even get Angie's number? Like, it's just, it's really kind of off. Yeah, very sketchy that she couldn't confirm who this person even was. Yeah, just a weird situation all around. But the day before the party, the client asked Angie to match the panties and bra that she herself was wearing and asked her if she had anything in black and red. And they agreed to match, and Angie even offered to let her client dance with her. So that would be the... Uh, girlfriend or I guess fiance of the guy whose private party it is for. Right, whoever this guy is. So Angie was planning on arriving at the landmark apartments and townhomes in North Indianapolis to meet her client at 10 p.m. On Wednesday, October 26, 2016, she texted Mona a screenshot of the text conversation that she had with her client, which contained the address and gate code for the apartment complex. Her message read, quote, Doing a private party at this address just in case I go missing, LOL. And then she also posted three smiley faces along with that text. Which is just so eerie. Yeah, foreshadowing for sure. So at about 11.45 p.m. on October 26th, Angie posted a Snapchat selfie from what was presumably the bathroom of the apartment that she was supposed to be dancing in. And she was smiling with a fitted black top and jeans. The next morning, Thursday, October 27th, Mona woke up to an empty apartment. When Angie wasn't answering her phone, Mona called Christina to alert her that it didn't seem as if Angie had come home, and alarm bells went off for Christina instantly. Angie had a Yorkie named Pablo, whom she loved, and according to Christina, never would have left unattended all night. Christina said, quote, That was her baby. Remembering that she had the address and the gate code to the apartment complex in Angie's text, Mona went to investigate this herself. She entered the code from the screenshot of Angie's conversation with her client, but when no one was buzzing her in, she scaled the locked gate and walked to the apartment to knock on the door. What a great friend. Yeah, it seemed like she really cared for Angie. So when no one answered, she started looking through the windows. The apartment was cleaned out. No furniture, no belongings, nothing. The place had been emptied. By that afternoon, it had been 17 hours since Mona had heard from Angie. God, just so weird to know this is where she said she was going to be. And I'm looking inside and there's nothing there. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine like what you would be thinking in that moment just knowing that your friend was supposed to be at this place. Right, like, did I get the wrong place? Like, why is this, why is it empty and where is Angie? Yeah, super unsettling. So when Mona conveyed what she had found to Christina, Christina filed a missing persons report immediately. She also launched her own search, calling tow companies, hospitals, jails, all of Angie's friends, everywhere and everyone she could think of, and even the morgue, like she, she called the morgue. That's, you know, she was checking every single place that she could think of. Yeah, she had to cover every single base. So while Mona and Christina did what they could to track down Angie's whereabouts, they remained hopeful that the police would find her. But unfortunately, the investigator assigned to her case was out of town, and it sat untouched on a detective's desk for four days before someone started working on it. 
The first thing the detective did was obtain surveillance footage, sorry, surveillance footage from the property of Angie's last known location, like he said, the landmark apartments in North Indianapolis. While Angie herself was not visible on the tape, her car was. And there, they found their first lead. At 3.29 a.m. on October 27th, remember she went there the night of October 26th, Angie's blue 2007 Pontiac G6 is seen leaving the apartment complex and turning left out of the gate. The footage is too dark and grainy to tell who's driving the car, but another car closely follows Angie's out of the gate, and this is a black sedan. Again, police were unable to determine who was driving, but they were able to catch the license plate and run the registration of the other car, the black sedan, and found that the car was registered to Raven Miller. Yeah, we've heard that name before. Yes, we have. Then a shocking revelation was made. The party was thrown by none other than Raven Miller herself and her boyfriend, who remembers Angie's ex-boyfriend, Baron McCullough. The Indiana Metro Police Department detective assigned to her case, who was Jose Torres, said, quote, There were issues, to the point where Angela would not have done this private party if she had known it was Raven and Baron that were throwing it. I believe, yes, she was tricked to come to this location. So that's really scary. I mean, obviously we didn't go, well, like I said earlier, we don't really know the full story between all of them, just that there was the bad blood, like I mentioned, and that this was her ex. So how creepy to text her from an unknown number and then not say your name and just have her show up. Like, what what are you planning on doing? Right. But the good thing is that police now have the identification of the person driving that black sedan. I just feel like it couldn't be good either way. You know, like, it, she knew that she was texting Angie. So why would you want her to come there? Like, it couldn't have been for any kind of good reason. It, it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's no way you were just like, oh, well, we'll just hire her for this party. No, you were... I, I, there's no way they weren't planning something. Absolutely. There was something else sinister going on here. So this obviously was an alarming conclusion, but with no trace of Angie or her car, detectives couldn't pin anything on Raven or her boyfriend, Baron. The two were questioned and even admitted to Angie being in their home that night, but told police she left suddenly at 3 a.m. after receiving a phone call. And suspiciously... You know how much I hate this. The couple then dropped everything and moved to Phoenix to be with family. So, so by the time Mona got to the apartment, they had already packed up and moved out. But that was the next day. Yeah. So, and also, of course, remember, this is Indianapolis, Indiana, all the way to Phoenix, Arizona, which is multiple states away. So right. this isn't a close move. They moved away. Doesn't look good. So Christina, relentless in her search even called the number of Angie's client from the screenshot that Angie had texted Mona the day that she went missing. Initially, Raven didn't answer, but she did wind up calling Christina back, claiming to be Nicole. Now, according to Christina, the exchange went like this. Raven, this is Nicole. Did you call this number? Christina, I'm looking for Raven. Raven, this is Raven. Christina, Okay, I'm looking for my daughter. Where is she? Raven. Well, who's your daughter? Christina. Angie Barlow. Raven. Well, I don't know who that is. 
Okay, but so weird to say, this is Nicole. Did you call this number? Yeah, I'm looking for Raven. This is Raven. Is it Raven or is it Nicole? She's like, a little sketcher. Yeah, and then also, well, I don't know who that is. We know you know who that is because not only did they know each other in the past, but then they would be questioned by police. Angie frequently went by her dancer name, Diamond, so Christina tried that next. Christina, how about Diamond? Does that ring a bell for you? Do you know where she is? Raven, oh yeah, Diamond, I know who that is. No, she left here last night. Raven then gave Christina the same story that she had given police, that Angie left the apartment around 3 a.m. after getting a phone call. But again, the weird thing with that is that we know that Raven's car followed her out. So to say that you didn't see her after that and that she left, like, you left too. Yeah. Or at least your car did. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volix XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. So 12 days after she was reported missing... Angie's car was located in Indianapolis, eight miles from the apartment complex where the party had been. Mona was shocked. She said, quote, I know for sure I had checked that area multiple times and then boom, pops up one day and I'm just like, there's no way. Angie's Pontiac was described as trashed, as if it had been ransacked. Christina said her daughter kept the car in pristine condition, both inside and outside, but the car seemed like it had been through hell. 
The outside of the car looked like it had been driven under a wired fence with scratches in the paint all over the body, as well as cracks in the windows and headlights. Angie was not inside, but police did pull evidence from the vehicle, although they have not revealed to this day what they found. Police received an anonymous tip that Angie may have been left in the trunk, but when investigators opened it, she wasn't in there and they found no indication that she ever had been. They did find fingerprints that belonged to someone other than Angie, but they also have not released whom they belong to. And based on the information that they gleaned from her car, Indiana police now believe that Angie was neither in her own car nor Raven's car, and that she was actually put in a third vehicle, leading them to believe that more people were involved in the crime and subsequent cover-up than just Raven and Barron. They now believe that she was lured into coming to the apartment, and that there were people attending the supposed party who let her into the apartment before she realized it belonged to Raven and Baron, as that certainly would have been alarming for her. And this makes sense because, again, you know, she still appeared relaxed in the mirror selfie that she took at 11.45 p.m. So police believe that there must have been multiple other people there luring her into a false sense of security and that she had not yet realized the residence belonged to Raven and Baron, that she had been lured there under false circumstances. And obviously, again, going back to that mirror selfie, if, if she realized that it was Raven and Baron and she was in the bathroom, she guarantee would have texted Mona or somebody else saying, oh my God, guess what, you know? And, or she wouldn't have taken that smiling photo where everything seemed to be fine. So, and since she never texted anybody or let anybody know that it was Raven and Barron's, we have to believe then that she was not able to let anybody know before something happened to her. Yeah, and you know, we know that the party started at what, 10 p.m.? So this was an hour and 45 minutes later. So in that time, in an hour and 45 minutes, of her not knowing that it's Raven and Baron's place. That's so true. That's a long time. That's a long time. And then we know that, uh, what was it, like almost four hours or a little over four hours after she took that photo is when her car drove out of the complex. Right. So even after the discovery of her daughter's car, Christina held out hope that Angie would be found safe. She said, quote, there is a complete emptiness. It literally feels like someone reaches into your chest and pulls a piece of your heart out. That's your child, your baby. And when you have no idea where they are and you have no idea what they're going through, it's hard. Christina, her family, and Mona continued to conduct their own investigation, going to abandoned houses and lots in the area and looking for anything that might point to where Angie was. They followed up on every lead, tip, and rumor that they heard. Christina said, quote, We're getting a lot of, hey, I've seen your daughter. She's at this place. It was almost like Angie's spotting. They've seen her at Walmart. They've seen her at gas stations. We've even heard ransom demands at this point in time. Christina received pictures that were obviously photoshopped, claiming that Angie was being drugged and held for ransom by a terrorist extremist group. That's so horrible. Yeah, that's a horrible fucking thing to do. Um, there was also a rumor circulating that she had been taken into a human trafficking ring. 
A convicted human trafficker serving time in prison for his crimes even made a call from prison regarding Angie on a recorded line, but the tip turned out to be nothing. No movement was made in the case for months. Then in January of 2017, so about, what was that, almost four months after she disappeared, Raven called Christina again, and this is what Christina said about it. Quote, she told me who she was, and she actually went into telling me what a great person she was, and what wonderful things she does, and things she owns, and how much money she has, and definitely thought highly of herself. Over half of what she said, I knew everything was lies. She was trying to convince me that when Angie first went missing, that she had, after that, she had gotten sick and went to the hospital. In reality, as police came to find out, they had fled to Phoenix, Arizona, like I mentioned. But one of the most eerie details about the evening that Angie went missing came up in this conversation when Christina asked Raven what she and Angie had talked about that night. To which Raven allegedly replied with, Aw, you want to know what her last words were? We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face, but now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Oh man, before that break, I mentioned that during a conversation between Christina and Raven, 
Christina asked what she and Angie talked about that night, to which Raven allegedly replied with, quote, Aw, you want to know what her last words were? Uh, and you just know that that's so condescending. I was just going to say so oh, condescending. The aw, are you kidding me? Ugh, she sucks. But what, uh, I mean... Why would you say that? Like, that just, you're incriminating yourself, and now we know. It's almost like you're dangling it in front of us, like, I know this, and I'm going to give you a breadcrumb, but it's not going to be enough for you to do anything about it. Yeah, Raven is totally playing a game right now. And just to to stay factual, this is according to Christina. Uh, you know, we don't have this actual conversation played out anywhere as concrete evidence, but this is just what Christina is claiming. I don't know why she would lie about this, but this is just what she said occurred. So seven months after Angie went missing, in May of 2017, another strange circumstance befell her family. Angie's grandmother and Christina's mother, Sharon Barlow, was a victim of fraud and had $8,000 stolen from her bank account. Detective Jose Torres found the timing incredibly suspect, saying, quote, There's a possibility that there's a connection because this fraud occurred after Angela went missing. Jose determined that Angie had had access to her grandma's banking and routing information, so it almost seems unlikely that the crimes were not related. Investigators traced the fraud back to a woman named Michelle Brown, who strangely was from Angie's hometown of Muncie, Indiana. When questioned, Michelle claimed that she stumbled upon Sharon Barlow's banking information online and that Sharon was just an unlucky random victim. They obtained a search warrant for her home, and while they didn't find anything directly related to Angie's disappearance, police did arrest three other residents of that home for unrelated criminal charges. Quote, I believe that there is a connection, but I cannot find one yet, said Detective Torres. Just four weeks later, on Tuesday, June 20th, 2017, police received an anonymous tip that Angie was dead and were told exactly where her remains could be found. Around 1 p.m. that day, police arrived to the house on the 5300 block of East 43rd Street in Indianapolis to investigate further. After obtaining a search warrant for the property, cadaver dogs indicated to an area in the backyard. And there, in a shallow grave, they found the remains of Angie Barlow. This is so crazy because I wonder who the person was that gave out this tip. Were they involved in the night that Angie went missing? Definitely possible. Maybe it's their guilt speaking. So her body was badly decomposed. And by the way, this is what then like eight months? Eight months, yeah. After uh, she went missing, just by the way. Um, so her body was badly decomposed and the coroner believed that she had been there for months. The property on which she was found was less than 10 miles from the location of Raven and Barron's apartment, and it had even once been rented to a relative of Barron's. The house had sat defunct for a long time and only recently taken in a new tenant, the owner himself. He claimed that he had owned the property for many years but hadn't been living there until recently when he moved in with his daughters. He had no relation or connection to Raven and Barron and cooperated fully with the investigation. And he is not believed, or sorry, is not believed to have been involved in the disappearance or death 
of Angie Barlow. But it just makes you wonder if somehow somebody knew that this was a vacant property and that they could just bury her there and not get caught. Yeah, and that somebody appears to be Baron. I mean, the only other person that you could think of connected to that property is Baron, because obviously he had a relative that lived there in the past. So Christina received the call that she had been dreading that evening and was asked to come to the coroner's office the next morning to identify her daughter's remains. Because of the state of her body, her parents had to identify her by just pictures of a few of her tattoos. Christina said, quote, Those are images that you see when you go to bed, and it wakes you up in the middle of the night. That's something that no parent should ever have to go through. Due to the nature of the investigation, the coroner has never released Angie's cause of death. Christina said in an interview, quote, People are saying, well, it gives you closure, but that's not the closure you want. The closure you want is to bring your little girl home safe. I want to know why. Why did you take my daughter? Why did you take her away from us? What was so important to you that you had to take my little girl? In the end, you will be found and justice will be served, one way or another. The last picture that they ever took together is now printed on a necklace that Christina wears every single day. The family spared no expense on Angie's funeral and the lavish affair was fit for the queen bee that Angie was. Her mom explained, quote, we looked at it this way. Price wasn't going to be an issue for it. We don't get the chance to pay for that wedding. We don't get grandkids of hers to spoil. We don't get any more Christmases. We don't get any more birthdays. We don't get anything anymore. And that was the absolute last thing that we could do for her, was to make sure that she had everything she wanted and to make sure that it was beautiful. Sadly, there have been no advances in Angie's case since the summer of 2017 when her body was found. But Raven and Baron have gotten to live out their lives as if nothing happened. So even though we unfortunately cannot give you any updates on Angie's situation, we can offer you updates on them. So the couple stayed in Phoenix, Arizona, and Raven is now a rapper who goes by the name Bonnie Drip on Instagram. Her feed is made up of mostly curated photos of her dressed up and clips of her music videos. And there's also a detailed look at the custom Audi that she ordered with the caption, quote, My car came today and words can't express the way I feel. I've waited so long and worked so hard. Just three weeks ago, actually, she posted a photo announcing her pregnancy. Raven is also a nail technician and has a salon that she calls the real drip nails. Under the music videos that she posts on YouTube, most of the comments are about getting justice for Angie. So people know it's out there. Yeah, it's definitely out there. So Baron McCullough has a significantly smaller online footprint than Raven, and we couldn't find anything about him on any social media, including whether or not he and Raven are still together. But there are a few updates on him as well. On October 11th, 2016, only about two weeks before Angie disappeared, he and Raven registered their address, which we're not going to see on the show, as a business address for a, quote, domestic limited liability company under the name Roadrunner Roadside Assistance. Both Raven and Barron are listed as CEO. A domestic LLC is a limited liability corporation that's registered in the same state that they plan to conduct business in. 
While their license is still technically valid, a Google search of the name of the company brought up next to nothing, so it doesn't appear that it's active anymore. The only other documentation we could find on Barron is a lawsuit filed by Raven against Barron, citing the need for a parenting plan, which would legally divide the time spent between parents, as well as what is cited as an affidavit regarding minor children. It was filed in March of 2021, but dismissed in July of 2021. So it would seem that the two are potentially no longer together, but that they do at least share a child. On February 13th, 2020, Raven took to her Instagram to defend herself and posted a 10 minute and 30 second response to the allegations against her. She vehemently denied having anything to do with Angie's disappearance or death and claimed that she and Angie never had a conflict with each other. She also poked holes in much of what the detectives and Christina and Mona have been saying about her from the beginning of the investigation. Raven claimed that she and Baron never tried to trick Angie into coming to their house under false pretenses and that Angie had been well aware of who she was dancing for. Raven even alleges that she went with Angie to McDonald's that night and that police had footage of them there together. She said that she and Baron had not, in fact, fled Indianapolis for Phoenix and that they had stayed another six months, claiming that Baron had been on probation at the time for an unrelated crime and they had to check in weekly with his parole officer, thereby forbidding him from leaving the state. So it seems like they left as soon as they could. It just wasn't right away. I don't know why Mona would be making up the fact that the apartment was cleared out the very next morning. Which I mean, she wouldn't be. So yeah. what, what's the explanation for that, right? Yeah. Or is she just saying this to cover her ass so it doesn't look like, you know, they did leave while he was on parole? I don't know. Um, but uh, she also claims that Christina fabricated the conversation that they shared in which Raven, you know, said that she had heard Angie's last words, claiming to have only spoken with her on the phone once on the day Angie was reported missing, which seems like it's when they spoke anyway, according to what Christina said. And again, why would Christina make that up? Yeah. She, why would why would the victim's mom be lying? So Raven explains that police came to Phoenix to take her DNA and her fingerprints and that it did not match anything that they had in connection to Angie's death. Again, maybe you didn't drive her car, right? Like, yeah, who knows? Right. So there, I mean, that doesn't mean she's not involved. And then she ends the video heatedly talking about how she couldn't wait to leave Indianapolis because it had become so dangerous, explaining that the violence in the city had taken her father, her godbrother, cousins, and friends, but that not everyone runs to social media with everything they have going on in their lives. And this was a clear dig at Christina's social media efforts to get justice for her daughter. So this is hard because it's like, is she telling the truth or is she just saying this? You know, then we have to wonder, if they did go to McDonald's together that night, do police really have that footage or is that not true? And again, we have to ask, why would Angie go there if she knew that Raven and Baron were there? Why wouldn't she have mentioned to anybody that it was their party if she knew that ahead of time? And then what happened to her? So yeah. who did that to her? Yeah. It, like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you be texting Angie and saying, hey, this is Raven. Like, you know who I am. It was like a, a blocked number. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, 
It and, just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and again, Raven's car followed her out. So why did that happen? And why was there a believed third car involved as well? And why was everything gone the next morning? Like, And why haven't still... police confirmed whether or not, like you said, they went to McDonald's together? Yeah, it still hasn't, uh, this hasn't cleared anything up at all. Right. So while it's been overshadowed by suspicions surrounding Raven and Baron, there has been some speculation that Angie may have just come in, uh, into contact with the wrong person at the wrong time. Some even believe that there may be a serial killer involved preying on young women in the area. A year after Angie was murdered, another dancer that she used to work with named Casey Kern lost her sister, Mariah Kern, in a brutal stabbing. Her murder remains unsolved to this day, and Casey and Mariah's cousin, Jamie Beasley, was also murdered and found discarded in Indianapolis. Her case is also unsolved. It seems more probable in Angie's case that it traces back to whom the suspicions have pointed to all along, but this theory is definitely a possibility. Christina posted a touching tribute to her daughter on Facebook that read, quote, Such a beauty she was. Angela Barlow was a beautiful soul inside and out. I don't get to see her beautiful face anymore. I don't get to hug her. I don't get to call her. I don't get to meet her for lunch. I don't get to visit with her. I don't get her popping up at ungodly hours of the night just because she's in town and wants to see me. I don't get to cook her her favorite meals anymore. I don't get holidays and birthdays with her anymore. I don't get to see her walk down the aisle. I don't get to see her children being born. I don't get to hear her voice say, I love you, mommy. I don't get to see what her future holds for her. Instead, I get this. This is all I have. A couple of monsters took it upon themselves to end her life. Hide her body in a five-foot hole in the ground for eight months. We searched for our daughter for eight months. Keeping hope she was alive every step of the way. She was not supposed to be found, but she was. Then she was given a proper burial. She was given a beautiful funeral and a beautiful headstone. We celebrated the short life she had. Murder affects families. Missing persons affect families. No one deserves to go through what she went through. No one deserves to go through what we're going through. Rest in peace, Angela Gina Ann Barlow, August 21st, 1993 to October 27th, 2016. Through the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful, mommy got you, Peanut. I got you. I got this. I'll get them. If you have any information on the disappearance or death of Angie Barlow, please call the Crime Stoppers of Central Indiana at 317-262-TIPS. much everybody for listening to this episode of going west yes thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and on friday we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into man this is a super frustrating story yes it is because it's one of those where you feel like you know what ha could have happened in some way but you don't know exactly what happened and you feel like you know who's involved but there's just no evidence right yeah i mean i really hope that Christina and Mona and everybody else that was in Angie's life gets some closure soon Absolutely. and some justice because 
it, this, it's just complete bullshit that nothing has moved forward since 2017. Yeah, and we are coming up on five years. So please, everybody, just make sure to share this story, uh, you know, like he said, so that we can get justice for the family if possible. Um, just share it on social media. It's always nice when you guys do that and you tag us. We love seeing that. Um, and thank you in advance for doing so. Also, make sure that you subscribe to The Dark Parts that's going to be dropping on October 6th. For anybody that is worried that The Dark Parts is really scary, it is a very creepy show, but Heath and I make it fun and lighthearted. So we do. It's it's a fun, it's just a fun show. I would say that like most of my goofiness gets to come out in that show because it's a lot less uh, serious. Like, se- yeah, serious or sensitive content. So, yeah, definitely go check that out. It's a, it's it's funny because it seems like it would be darker, but it's actually lighter for us. It's much lighter. So, you know, we have 17 episodes of that show that, that we kind of stopped doing a year and a half ago. And now we're about to start coming out with new episodes. So if you want to go back and binge our old episodes, feel free. And you can subscribe and check out the two brand new episodes coming Thursday, October 6th. All right, guys, so for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.